you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Well, howdy and welcome back to Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. I'm Ranger Gord, and I am back here to do another uh, set of appearances from the Vigilante, only a little bit different. This is going to be similar to uh, the All-Star Squadron rundown that I did uh, covering the Crisis Era, and of course in the... Uh, the leading comics megasode that we just finished that sort of tied in with crisis as well albeit uh very tangentially but hey uh a crisis banner is a crisis banner right well the four issues i'm going to deal with today uh are 57 through 60 and they actually are sort of dealing with the aftermath of the crisis. I'll deal with the end of crisis itself, and believe me, that won't take long. Uh, but the aftermath features uh, several tangents that have been going on uh, through All-Star Squadron's contribution to the crisis over you know, roughly seven, eight issues, and then it's going to take, like I say, four issues to sort of wrap up. And... Um, also tie in uh, ties in Vigilante and the Seven Soldiers, albeit briefly, but uh, I promise to uh, keep the continuity together uh, as uh, Roy Thomas so intended. Uh, since he was so good enough to take a, on a project uh, such as the All-Star Squadron featuring so many characters and decide that he was going to more or less tangentially try to tie together uh, the Golden Age stories, uh, primarily All-Stars comics and leading comics, and uh, a few of the other notable characters, along with tying that in with 40 years of continuity, you know what, I, I always thought that was a hell of a feat, and I'd like to sort of pay my own little tribute to it. So, uh, some parts of this I will be uh, glossing over, such as the retelling of the Shanghai in Space uh, aspects that are going on through all four of these issues and they have been have been happening ever since All-Star Squadron 50 and the reason I'm glossing over that is because it's part of All-Star Comics you can look that up and of course you can look that up in All-Star Squadron itself and it really has nothing to do with Vidge and the Seven Soldiers uh, other than it's just sort of there in the ether so I'm more or less concentrating on All-Star Squadron proper and the story as that brings along and there's we're going to be leading into a very different DC universe by the end of uh, All-Star Squadron 60. And the good news is that'll be probably the end of my tie-ins with All-Star Squadron. Now the uh, book itself will continue as it did into early of 1987. But the last few issues of that we're not really telling a single story. And in fact, uh, what we've got going together is pretty much the last full of the full arcs of the All-Star Squadron. Beyond that, we've got a number of Secret Origins issues and a couple of special stories that uh, 
Roy Thomas wanted to tell regarding the Justice Society and uh, sort of uh, his uh, con contribution as to how the crisis is going to act now that certain characters are out of this post-crisis New Earth continuity. And of course, realize that we are talking in the 1980s here. So post-1986, the crisis has supposedly wiped out the, the multiverse. And so there are no more multiple Earths. So therefore, several characters don't exist anymore. And, uh, I think you know my feelings on that. But I just do acknowledge that this is a thing and how it's going to go on. From here on, uh, it's going to be straight back to Golden Age. I don't have too much more to talk about with, uh, you know, Thomas-era continuity. There might be a, a scant mention here and there in the Young All-Stars, but uh, to my recollection, Vigilante doesn't have much to do in that comic. So we're going to be, good news of that is we're going to be right back to the Golden Age and the good old Mort Morton, Mort Meskin stories from action comics and carrying on with our leading comic stories as well once we're back into that action comics grind we're going to carry on with uh, solo vigilante stories along with stuff uh, from uh, that title that he uh, headed for several years or helped head for several years well oh superman fans just uh just blue kryptonite at me as I said, Superman's the warm-up back there. And I'm going to get us out of 1942. And I'm not going to touch another leading comic story until we get into uh, leading comics number five. And even though that comes in at the end of 1942, I'll treat it as a 1943 story since it was on the stands through the early years of 1943. So once again... Um, these comics are going to be uh, issues of All-Star Squadron that were published in 1986. And I know that's a long time ago, kids. Uh, it doesn't seem so long ago to me, but I was a pretty young guy in those days. Uh, so I naturally bought these off the stands or the, my local comic shop, because I believe I did have a file with an LCS by that point in time. In fact, by that point in time, I was actually living on my own. So, uh, so uh, when I wasn't working construction, I had a lot of free time to uh, to work through DC Comics. Now, um, for you that want to catch up with this, I don't. There was quite a few of these printed, so I don't think it would be a hard to find these in LCS back issue stores, those that still carry back issues, or wherever you, whoever uh, sort of thrift store or such that carries these. And I'm sure when these this days of the Facebook market such and eBay, I don't think they'll be hard to find. And I've never heard any intention that they're going for any amount of outrageous prices. Uh, I'm not in that market, I really can't say. Uh, the only reason I'm bringing that up is because, as of yet, DC has not seen fit to ever reprint uh, All-Star Squadron other than the first 20-odd oh, issues that they put into the Showcase Editions. And, of course, DC's not publishing the Showcase Editions anymore. 
So there's no chance of them ever completing the All-Star Squadron run in uh, showcase format. And that's too bad. But at any rate, that is what it is. Um, archive editions are right out. Uh, forget it. They're never bringing those in. I guess the only hope is probably that they might be doing Omnibus someday. So if anybody wants to write any letters and be nice, be nice to the editors and tell them that you promise to uh, purchase a All-Star Squadron Omnibus, I'm sure DC will consider it. And, uh, you know, in their in their interests, I have to say, it's a has to be a marketing decision. Publishing is a very, very expensive thing. And uh, they have no reason to have uh, omnibuses that are remaindered. So uh, if you do write these letters, be prepared to actually purchase it. Um, I did happen to check, even though my access, because I'm out of the continental United States, uh, is spotty, but you can get all of the All-Star Squadron issues on the DC Universe app. So there is that. So if you have access to that, uh, that's probably your best bet. And if you have a tablet, that's the best way to read it. And it's once you get used to it, it's uh, it, you'll, it's not like having the feel of old comics between your fingers, but hey, they also don't rip or crumble. So there is that. So giving you those options. And believe me, I don't make a dime of it, but uh, I'll tell you what I do it serves my interest is that you show an interest in DC's Golden Age and and even in uh, DC's attempts to represent the Golden Age. And Golden Age may not be your cup of tea, but as I always say, folks, you don't get the heavy metal before you get to Hank Williams and Elvis. You know, it's an evolution. And, um, you know, the comics you love today or even from the 1990s or early 2000s, are part of the tapestry and that was always supposed to be the whole point of DC's crisis and DC's various anniversaries I don't know if that's still their strategy I'm kinda doubting it but at any rate um, DC has an 80 plus year history and a lot of it is uh, I don't say just interesting but a lot of it is, is quite golden so Anytime you get the chances to look at it, uh, look at it with those eyes. Look at it historically. Try to try to put your mind if that you're a ten-year-old boy or girl. You know, wartime is is uh, happening in the news. Your mums and dads are busy, uh, either going into the service or off in war work, or as my mum and dad would have been doing at those time in those years as teenagers trying to keep farms and businesses alive. So uh, in those years, you just need some diversions, and um, a dime is hard to come by, but when you do, hey, there you got Superman, the Vigilante, Congo Bill, Batman, Black Hawks, the Green Lantern, all of these fantastical characters that are keeping the home front burning. And that's as good a segue into my introduction of these four comics. And I don't mind you even hearing the rustling noise as I uh, flip through these uh, 
four editions. Uh, what you're hearing, of course, is the double mylar that I keep them in, and I actually keep them in a binder system. I've kind of foregone the old long box system, um, at least for my more more treasured ones. Uh, I have, you know, the actual uh, comic book bag, and then I put those into uh, an acid-free archival bag that has... Um, what do you call three rings and I keep them in some very large oversized binders and uh, I'm just lucky enough that my new house has uh, a nice little closet area with uh, some very large bookshelves that can accommodate these binders so it's not as good as having them completely bound that'll probably never happen for me that's a very expensive process and uh, I don't exactly have Jared Aldrich money <laughs> Hi, Jared. So, All-Star Squadron 57 uh, is uh, covered, uh, cover dated May 86. Uh, 58 is June 86 and so on. 59 is July and number 60 is August of 86. So, take a couple of months off of those for exactly when these were on the stands is when I purchased them. So we're definitely into that post-crisis era, which uh, 86 was just a little bit weird. We didn't really know how the crisis was going to shake up. And at this point in time, this is thing when things like uh, Legends of the Dark Knight, Batman Year One, and the John Byrne era, I, I refuse to say the John Byrne, refit of Superman era because there was more people there than just John Byrne there. He just happened to be the the driver of the bus. That Byrne era refit of Superman. And then uh, looming on the waves was the George Perez Wonder Woman and the uh League Justice League International. So this is about the time Legends is going on, but Legends is all about 1986 DC Universe and uh, unfortunately at that point in time DC is kind of uh, saying goodbye to the 1940s characters as All-Star Squadron winds down we've already had the, the controversial last days of the Justice Society special um, that's not something I'll be covering I and that brings me to another thing that I should mention. Coverage of the All-Star Squadron, the 1970s All-Star Comics revivals, the JLA-JSA team-ups from the 60s and 70s, those sorts of things are covered in at least three podcasts that pop off the top of my head, and I, there might even be others. One that pops into my head right now is Two True Freaks, back in the days when they were a single feed. Uh, had a show operated by Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey called Tales of the Justice Society of America. And in there they covered All-Star Squadron, Infinity Inc., a few of the 1940s All-Stars, and the 1970s All-Star Comics Revival. Now Scott and Mike didn't quite uh, get that done uh, before their schedules uh, didn't permit them to record too much together. But uh, there is also, on the Fire and Water Network, there is the uh, Justice Society Presents program. Um, that usually appears on Sundays, but in rotation with uh, 
other things. So I believe once uh, Shag gets done with his Justice League International, he's probably going to be concentrating more on um, that JSA Presents uh, podcast as well. And there are other contributors to that as well, like uh, Chris and Cindy Franklin, Rob Kelly, uh, Max Romero, and Ryan Daly. So uh, look for that. They've had a few um, episodes out already in the last year couple of years or so and by and large the most extensive of the earth 2 podcasts was a world on fire which was began about the time that this podcast started prairie justice and (laughs) but uh, herman uh, and billy were a lot more diligent and had a lot better better plan to get through that Um, herman is off the podcast now but billy dunleavy uh, carries forth on his own. He's long passed through all of the All-Star Squadron coverage and into, uh, among them, other things. They've also started in an Infinity Inc. podcast as well. So look for that in your uh, in your feeds on Apple Podcasts or whatever you use. And as other comic-related podcasts have found uh, footings with the Golden Age uh you know, this this era is all constantly being re, rediscovered, not just the Golden Age itself, but all the various revivals of the 70s and 80s. And there are people who are popping in and uh, looking at some of these revivals as well. So the Golden Age and Earth 2 will always rear its ugly head, no matter how much DC tries to put a shovel to it. So we begin with All-Star Squadron 57, as we said, May 1986, cover date, uh, possibly out around March. The cover is Spotlight on the Atom, Starman, and Wonder Woman. So my educated hypothesis from looking at this cover is that this is going to be mostly about the retelling of the Shanghai in space, which I promise to really only mention in abbreviation because it doesn't have much to do with uh, the vigilantes role of the seven soldiers getting through the crisis and of course that shanghai into space is another one of roy's uh, free adaptations from uh, an all-star comic story written by gardner fox so m- most of this uh, what i'll be talking about will be the framing sequence in all-star squadron which should just be pages 1 through 3, and then the final page one, uh, 22. And, of course, this is original work uh, written by Roy Thomas and Mike Clark and the uh, infamous Vince Coletta are the artists. David Cody Weiss is the letterer. Carl Gafford is the colorist. And we open on our splash page to the ruins of the Trilon and Parisphere. Uh, Long Island and the uh, home of the World's Fair. This is from the battle with Oom and the Monster Society of Evil and that remnants that we've been discussing in a previous episode of Prairie Justice. And this is sort of a reunited and it feels so good kind of a page because uh, supposedly we're past crisis and all of a sudden who seems to pop up in... Uh, at the Trilon Paris Fair, virtually in a flash of light. 
just due to the crisis being over, is uh, the outlines of Liberty Bell, Johnny Quick, Green Lantern, Amazing Man, and Tarantula, I think. Uh, just because it's very small images, and of course, uh, there are meeting... Okay, that wasn't Green Lantern in there. Firebrand, sorry. Sorry, folks. And they are meeting at the already at the Parasphere site, Dr. Fate, Superman, Dr. Occult, and here's Green Lantern, Hawkgirl, Sandy, Robot Man, and Our Man. And they're basically at the ruins of the uh, Parasphere here. Popping up for a reunion. Interesting, um, in this reunion, we will not be mentioning Commander Steel. I don't know why Roy Thomas did that, as we talked about in the... Uh, the All-Star Squadron 50 review, Commander Steel, has gone on to Earth-1, where he will grow old as a uh, military industrialist and become grandfather to uh, Hank Haywood III, the Steel of the Detroit Justice League. And uh, I guess he was uh, murdered in this timeline, or killed in this timeline, in um, the very last JLA JSA team up. Anyway, we're getting out of out of track here. Um, of course, in this reunion, uh, we hear about uh, the the so-called disappearance of the other Justice Society members. Um, the uh, missing members, Doc uh, Liberty Bell and uh, Firebrand, meet Doctor Occult for the first time who is able to rub his, shall we say, talisman. <laughs> That's one of his little discs that is sort of one of his magic MacGuffins. And um, he, through, through this uh, very magic MacGuffin, we are brought into speed as to where the missing JSAers are. So through the body of the of the uh, comic we read about what the atom is up to and that piece is uh, drawn by Rick Holberg who has been an all-star squadron uh, semi-regular and of course that's from the all-star comics number 13 Shanghai and space storyline and that original atom story in in that uh, original piece was uh, written by Fox and drawn by Joe Gallagher uh, we move ahead to the Starman piece, and that is drawn by Arvel Jones in tribute to Jack Burnley, of course, the uh, iconic Starman artist and also a very fine Superman artist. And finally, we go to the Wonder Woman story, which is drawn by Richard Howell, another All-Star Squadron alumni here. And he is adapting the original story that was done by none other than William Moulton Marston and H.G. Peter. And at least in his, uh, his depiction of Wonder Woman, he seems to look a lot like uh, the Harry Peter Wonder Woman. And of course, we all know what that looks like. We finish up the story back at uh, the All-Star Squadron headquarters at the wrecked Perisphere. As Dr. Occult drops the ta ta talisman, and uh, he's a bit disoriented by what he has seen. And of course, we have the uh, dramatic headshot 
of Hawkman and Sandman because we must have a depiction of Hawkman in every issue of All-Star Squadron, mustn't we? And as they sort of ride into the sunset, or as the sun, as the moon rises over the perisphere, rather, uh, we read that our next issue we're going to be introduced to Mechanique and Johnny Thunder, at least probably his chapter of the Shanghai and Space storyline. So none of the seven soldiers or Vidge appear here. So let's roll right into June 86 on stands in um, April of 86. All-Star Squadron number 58. Uh, scripted, of course, by and edited by Roy Thomas. Arvel Jones will be our primary artist, and Mike Clark will be the artist on the Johnny Thunder portion that we will only just barely mention. Um... This is a good compact story here for several pages. And we are starting a, a bit of a new story arc. So finally we're getting a... Although a, no, we're not quite out of crisis aftermath, so at least we're starting getting something original. And we're starting in April 1942 on a New York street because uh, apparently all of World War II home front is in New York City, according to All-Star Squadron. Sorry, that's a little snarky. It's just too bad we don't get a... I realize All-Star Squadron is supposed to be the home front group, but it's too bad we don't move around to the rest of the country at some point. And something fireballs past the citizenry. Of course, we have a sailor and a cop and everything else during the night. And we see a yellowish-goldish form looking very robotic. Uh, we can see a bit of her innards up. And uh, we get the usual thing where uh, some superheroic surprise scares a drunk straight. And um, this character that we see, this uh, somewhat damaged uh, golden female-imaged robot, gets up and sees a poetry and says, Come see the world of tomorrow at New York's World's Fair. I guess uh, there's been a poster lingering around for a couple of years that's never been ripped down. But she's the one that rips it down and uh, then moves on because uh, seeing the image of the Trilon and the Perisphere apparently uh, stirs something in this uh, female imaged robot. And we shoot back to the Trilon and the Perisphere, which is under repair, thankfully. Um, no more rubble, and we see Hawk Girl, Superman, Doctor Fate, Green Lantern, Firebrand, Amazing Man, Liberty Bell, Johnny Quick, and the Flash, J. Garrick Flash, and Our Man, all bringing in building materials, which is being assembled um, by some of the flying characters, at least the ones that have welding powers, such as Heat Vision, Firebrand's Flame, or Green Lantern's uh, beams. And we also see Tarantula, who's uh, climbing Spider-Man-like up uh, the, the side of the Paris, the Trilon, but rather, uh, for some reason, holding his web gun. I don't know what he expects to be doing with that web gun, and you know what? Uh, neither does he. So what's a Tarantula doing several hundred feet off the ground? With these guys on the job, there's nothing much more to do 
for me besides gather anecdotal material for my post-war memoirs. Okay, John Law, do that. Please just do that. Uh, we always have to see have one character whining in one of these group shots, and today it's Tarantula's turn. Sandy is here too, by the way, and they, as they take a break, walking along the ramp up towards the uh, the perisphere. When Robot Man starts to uh, have some inner monologuing about an encounter he had last night with his uh, former fiance Joan, who, if you know Robot Man's uh, origin, uh, he is actually in his uh, disguise as Paul Dennis, uh, pretending to be a uh, a man with a lot of plastic over top of his face. And of course, he is. This is also Robert Crane's uh, fiance. When I say Robot Man's former fiance, it's uh, the lady he intended to marry before his body or his brain was put inside the, the Robot Man encasement after an accident or sabotage. And Paul Dennis is the uh, the human identity that he tries to use. Uh, using uh, makeup and clothing and it just isn't it just didn't work out so robot man goes back to working on uh, Gern's back um, we're gonna get a lot of work on robots here the who of course is the uh, robotic uh, sentry or butler as it were for the all-star squadron and this is going to be a very robot man centric sort of a uh, arc as inside the perisphere interior work continues as we start to clean up the uh, the meeting room and Sandy and Hawk girl do a bit of a common commiserating over their uh, their missing mates uh, at least as far as Hawk girl is concerned Carter Hall Hawkman and Sandy's sort of de facto uncle, the Sandman himself. Of course, they are JSAers who are missing due to the Shanghai in Space storyline that we are sort of serializing along with this uh, at the same time as this arc is occurring. Now, after more wah, 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 I'm so useless from the Tarantula, Mechanique arrives onto the scene and first meets Gern's back, unbeknownst to the rest of the squadron mates. And she renders Gern's back immobile through uh, a bit of Kirby crackle. And then we get some Our Man Firebrand soap opera. A nice race between Superman and the Flash outside. I guess that's where this starts. And then finally, Mechanic uh, ma reveals herself to the rest of the All-Stars. Uh, Fighty McFightenstein, Liberty Bell reveals her new sonic powers that she seems to have. Developed through the crisis point. Um, Dr. Fate gets some licks in at Mechanic. And he's just about to land a face into what he thinks is a robot. When he is stopped by Robot Man, who basically sees some commonality with Mechanic and would like to endeavor further 
you know, whether this is a, uh, a after effect over his uh, lost romance with his uh, former fiance, or just some commonality or just some things that uh, Robot Man seems to come to. And as he picks her up, she, in the, uh, the in that sense of the word, whispers to him, whispers to uh, Robot Man, the word Rotwang. And for some reason, this stirs something. And he picks her up, and he promises to take her back over to his own private lab, so he can discuss this further and uh, investigate uh, just what mechanic is. Tarantula comes out of his uh, funk long enough to uh, at least say, who is to say he isn't right? Wherever that robot came from, whoever made it, made it tru truly came in peace, but we just weren't intelligent enough to listen. Well, at least that brings uh, John Law out of his uh, whiny funk and his uh, emoing over his uh, supposed uselessness. Um, you know what? The, the All-Star Squadron members all bring a certain thing to the table. And I don't think it always has to be the A-listers. It always has to be the most powerful that we see uh, in these fights. And I think that's sort of one of the points of All-Star Squadron. You know, sometimes there's a cosmic menace, and sometimes there's a supervillain, and sometimes it's just uh, spies or saboteurs, or sometimes you just need to go out onto the battlefield and help the armed forces a little bit. So that that is kind of sort of one of the things that I do like about All-Star Squadron, but I, I sort of hate it when they all kind of start to uh, ghettoize and pillarize themselves into certain corners. But as we're coming towards the end of the run, I guess this is what's going to happen. And we end our our story with the Johnny Thunder chapter of the Shanghai into space or Shanghai into hyperspace, uh, chapter 7. And this is drawn by Mike Clark after the in tribute to Stan Ash on the original from 1942. That leads us to All-Star Squadron 59, July 86, on the stands in May of 86. This is a interesting cover in that it also mocks, or is a tribute to a cover of one of the George Perez covers from Crisis on Infinite Earths that... Uh, shows a number of headshots of uh, various characters. Now, the, the Perez version um, basically had most of the characters that were had been in uh, of primal concern in the crisis. This takes that same uh, tact, giving us all-star squadron members, sort of in a monotone blue, with the exception of one figure, and I'll talk about that in a moment. In front of all of these figures is a rebuilt, refurbished mechanic who is staring above us and there are spotlights going up from somewhere behind Mechanic's body. And our uh, cover uh, copy tells us this is going to be an arc written by 
Roy Thomas, and drawn by Arvel Jones and Ron Harris. So let's take a, just a little bit of time on this cover, just for fun and games, to tell us um, who is staring at us in all of these small headshots. Top row, left to right, Johnny Thunder, complete with his bow tie. How else would we know it's Johnny Thunder? Starman, Hawkman, Dr. Midnight, Wonder Woman, The Atom. Uh, the second row in the corner, right under the DC bullet, is the only one of these that is in uh, full color, and that is the Spectre. And there's also a little banner that uh, does double duty here, telling us that we are going to have an extra chapter, the Spectre in hyperspace. And, of course, we know that that alludes to the Shanghai in hyperspace storyline. Uh, carrying on in that second row, uh, completed past the All-Star Squadron logo, is Our Band and Thunderbolt. And then we get, um, I'm guessing here, Sandman and Airwave, also beyond the logo, so that's a shortened row. Okay, we get back into full rows, fourth from the top, we have what I believe is uh, the Paul Kirk Manhunter. Batman, Robin, Robot Man, Amazing Man, Wildcat, and um, Mr. America. Fifth row, who starts that off? Guy in a cowboy hat and a mask. Yay, Vigilante's here. Finally, there's a reason for being in redoing this in on this space. Uh, the half-helmeted Dr. Fate, right beside his very similar-looking character of the Guardian from the Newsboy Legion. Uh, we carry on to, I believe this is uh, TNT, uh, Mr. Terrific, Stripesy and the Star-Spangled Kid, Next Row, Shining Knight, Crimson Avenger, Firebrand, the Jay Garrick Flash, uh, Wing, Green Lantern, Tarantula, Zatara, The Whip, Superman, F uh, Firebrand, I'm sorry, that's not Firebrand, that's Liberty Bell. Johnny Quick, Speedy and Green Arrow. And we get Paul Herc Manhunter. Oh, okay, I think that earlier figure was actually Dan the Dynamite. I apologize, folks. Sargon, Hawk Girl. And as we go down the road around Manhunters, or around Mechanics, uh, Body, I believe... I don't know who that one figure is. It might be the Earth 2 Aquaman. And I believe in the corner of the character we have the uh, the Quality Comics Manhunter. Whose uh, real name escapes me right now. So an interesting homage to a cover that is really at this point in time less than a year old. So Crisis is already becoming its own classic. Speaking of Aquaman, guess who shows up on page one? The Earth 2 Aquaman. What color are his gloves? Okay, they're not green. They're not yellow. They look gold. But as we turn the page, we get a group shot, and Aquaman's gloves are indeed yellow. Cue the eternal fire and water, Shag and Rob feud. 
and Aquaman is facing off against a raft of All-Star Squadron assembled into what appears to be the uh, completely refurbished and repainted meeting room of the Parasphere. And rather than uh, me knock off all of those names right again, let's just say that uh, this is basically everybody that was on the cover. And just two uh, figures away from Aquaman is Vigilante with his guns drawn. So that's the uh, obligatory appearance of Vigilante that must appear if I'm going to talk about All-Star Squadron. My rules, folks, I make them up. So as Aquaman comes in, and remember, Roy Thomas is a Marvel writer, so we must have a misunderstanding, but cer certainly no fight. There's a little bit of grumbling here and there about who Aquaman is and what he does and why he's never come to an All-Star Squadron be meeting before. But of course, that is all settled out by Superman, who is just glad to meet Aquaman. Let's do a cartoon show together someday, shall we? Or at least our Earth-1 counterpart shall. Johnny Quick manages to remark, uh, gee, we got everybody here but the little, uh, but little boy Blue and the Blue Boys. Way to keep it relevant, Johnny. You bet. Uh, but at least that we get a uh, a picture of them. So little boy Blue, I guess, are officially all stars at some point. There, there's really no official way to be an all star other than to be a golden age character that is controlled by DC or to be uh, such as Commander Steel or Amazing Man, some sort of uh, retroactive character put into the continuity. And of course that brings us to Dr. Occult, who along with Dr. Fate uh, gives the meeting a little bit of uh, update on what they know about the JSA's disappearance, um, leading to Hawkgirl and Sandy being worried about their respective partners. And of course, we have to have the disembodied heads of Hawkman and the rest. Tell me if you've heard this before. But the JSA Shanghai into Space storyline takes a little bit of a backseat here as a message comes in on a viewer screen from Robot Man. In actuality, it's not so much a message come in as Johnny Quick has finally figured out how to uh, work the TV so that Robot Man can talk to them uh, via this uh, very large video screen. And uh, he is actually wondering what point did it, uh, what, what, how long it would be before. I was wondering how long it would be before you guys tried to butt in on things that don't concern you. And the other All-Stars uh, figure he's kind of testy. So let's go into and tell what Robot Man says. As far as I could tell, I'm the only All-Star who could even consider the possibility that she, Mechanique, who uh, Robot Man somewhat spirited off in the last episode, might not be a robot, at least as you understand the term and I couldn't chance your deciding to dismantle what might well be a sentient life form as human in her own way as any of us. And Johnny Quick uh, does what he does. He flips off, mouths off, and uh, Liberty Bell quickly jumps in and says, Butt out, Johnny. Shut up. Yes, they are a married couple now. 
Then that bastion of sober second thought Batman pops in. Is this true, Robot Man? Have you actually repaired a robot that knocked Fireband through a wall and nearly electrocuted Liberty Bell? Let's go back to Robot Man. I have, with the help of my assistant, Chuck Grayson. She is still unconscious, and in the absence of any other information, I have even given her a tentative name, Mechanique. So we uh, shoot, we got a scene in the lab here. Chuck Grayson has Mechanique on uh, what could only be called a tilting table. Uh, Chuck informs us, uh, Rob, uh, who is Robot Man, I think the power buildup from the storm is completed as you wanted. A few more minutes and we should be able to activate the Robot Man. Good work, Chuck. Just keep the electrical in-feed at stable levels while I give all the instruments a final once-over. Now, if you'll excuse me, Liberty Bell, I've got my own tasks to get back to. Don't call me. I'll call you when I know the results. Uh, Liberty Bell tries to do a protest and goes, uh, goes, Robot Man, we're talking about a potential public menace here. Not your personal tinker toy set. And I'm talking about possibly saving the life of an entity that may well have lashed out only because she was confused, at least the partly amnesiac. Uh, Johnny Quick argues again. And uh, so does Our Man. Uh, Johnny and Our Man together make a motion that the She-Robot is to be brought back into All-Star Squadron custody. Dr. Fate interjects, whatever our decision, at least Johnny's got the right idea. We should vote on it. So Johnny has made a motion using democracy. And Liberty Bell, as chairman, has to say, a vote's been called for, Robot Man. Will you agree to abide by our decision? Robot Man replies, what do you think? So Liberty Bell asks uh, Firebrand to uh, count the votes as she calls the roll. And the motion is as follows. Motion has been made by Johnny Quick and seconded by Our Man that Robot Man should return the robot he calls Mechanique to the care and custody of the All-Star Squadron. We'll take the vote in alphabetical order. Airwave, yes. Amazing Man, no. Aquaman, uh, no. Batman, Yes. Crimson Avenger. Yes. Dr. Fate. Yes. Dr. Occult. Yes. Dynamite. Uh, yes, I guess. Firebrand. Yes. The Flash. No. Green Arrow. Yes. Green Lantern. Yes. The Guardian. No. Hawk Girl. No. Our Man. Yes. Johnny Quick. Yes. Manhunter. Yes. Mr. America. No. Mr. Terrific. No. Robin. Yes. Robot Man. I refuse to recognize the vote. Sandy, no, I trust Robot Man. Sargon, yes, the Shining Knight, aye. Speedy, no. Stripesy, no. Star Spangled Kid, yes. Superman, yes. Vid Tarantula, no. TNT, yes. Vigilante, wait for it, nope. The Whip, no. Wildcat, nope. Wing, yes. And Zatara, yes. 
So there we have. How about you, Bell? Did anybody uh, think to tally that? The chairman only votes in the case of a tie, Johnny. And Liberty Bell says the eyes have it. Uh, 20 to 14 with one abstention, which of course was Robot Man's. Not abstention, lady. Rejection. Chuck and I are perfectly capable of safeguarding the general populace and mechanic. So, but out. And the screen goes black. Goodbye. Well, the battle lines are drawn. Um, and the order is given by Liberty Bell. As a voluntary organization, we have no mandate to force Robot Man to honor our decision. Yet we still have a duty to protect the public. So I'm asking for a committee to call on Robot Man at once and try to persuade him to return the robot to our keeping. Any volunteers? And our volunteers are Green Lantern, Airwave, Shining Knight, Firebrand, and that's it. So by the power of Green Lantern powered energy bubble, the uh, committee of Shining Knight Airwave, Firebrand, and Green Lantern head over to Chuck Grayson and uh, the former Robert Cranes, the late Robert Cranes, robot lab. Now, there's a little confusion here, even though we supposedly passed the crisis. Um, of course, when we go across the sky, we have to go through reddish skies. And Firebrand says, I think this has something to do with my disappearance, but I still can't remember anything about it. So the crisis is still uh, somewhat in effect, folks. And I think that's a bit of foreshadowing from Roy. Denouement, as it were. So the committee, as it is, uh, materializes into Robot Man's lab. Um, Chuck Grayson yells out, Bob! I see him, Chuck. As a matter of fact, I've been expecting them, but they're not going to stop me now. Nobody is. Firebrand. What's wrong with you, Rob? You are always one of the most level-headed of all the All-Stars. Then assume that I still am and leave me alone to do what I have to do. Chuck says, Maybe they'll listen to me, Bob. Most of you know me, at least in passing, and you know that next to Robot Man himself, I know robots better than anyone alive. And I'm telling you, Bob is right when he says this mechanic is more than just a robot. I'm not sure yet just how much more. But that's what we want time to find out. Nobody's trying to prevent that, Chuck. Listen to me, Rob. All the squadron's asking, demanding, you mean, is that you conduct your experiments at the Parisphere, where we can all keep an eye on the robot. But I need the equipment here. And... No more than that, and you should admit it, at least to yourselves. You don't trust me with her, because you think of her as something less than human. And you're starting to think of me the same way. Well, it must be something about blonde-haired superheroes in uh, Roy World. Uh, Green Lantern loses it. You're full of it, friend. And I've got an engineering degree myself, so stop thinking of it like us all. We're a bunch of primitives on some kind of a witch hunt. If you're an engineer, Lantern, then you damn well ought to know how well well valid majority rule is when it comes to matters of science. Or have you forgotten Galileo or Darwin? 
So here's Ranger Gordy interjecting into the story. Robot Man has a great point. Such it is, we're speaking to a brain inside of an empty shell, or a robotic shell, as it were. But here's the point. Just because the majority of a population think of something, of a scientific point, is not valid, does not mean that they are correct. He brings up Galileo, Darwin. I'm going to bring up something even more topical right now, and that is COVID. Um, we have understood for some two years now, well, three years, that a vaccine was the way we were going to get out of this. And companies, scientists, governments worked hard to put that vaccine in our hands. At this point in time, um, COVID, I won't, of course, I'm not going to turn around and say that it's gone. But most of the reason it's not gone is just that people have had what I could euphemistically or politically correctly say vaccine hesitancy. And that's probably about the nicest way I could put this. Um, just because uh, the majority says something is right doesn't mean it is. And um, this is sort of where we have to let science have its own head, even though that we have had a committee uh, to remove mechanique back to the perisphere. And uh, the other point that Robot Man has, I think, is other valid. Look, they've just rebuilt the perisphere. It was in ruins here an issue ago. And now the All-Star Squadron is asking Robot Man to move it, this thing from his lab where he's got the equipment and he's got the techniques to study robotics, which they don't have back at the perisphere where the paint is literally drying on the walls after being rebuilt. Anyway, my editorial over. Let's return to the story here. And uh, as we do this, we see Airwave, who uh, a character that we haven't seen much in All-Star Squadron, but uh, I do love how Roy naturally interjects one of the more obscure characters here into one of the teams. Usually, <laughs> in the fashion of the Red Bee, that means that he's going to die. But uh, we know, those of us who know our all-star chronology know that's not going to happen here. But uh, Airwave is a character who is somewhat uh, sensitive to electricity. And he picks up signs of an overload. Uh, which, of course, Robot Man is not very happy to see him uh, working on around his equipment at all. Airwave, what the devil are you doing sniffing around my apparatus? I'm picking up signs of an overload, and that's likely to blow this neighborhood sky high if you don't shut down this machine right now. In fact, I suspect it's too late to simply turn it off. Lantern, can your ring contain the explosion? There won't be any explosion unless you cause it. Well, Green Lantern uh, isn't going to stand around and wait for that to happen. He goes to use his ring to encase the machine. And Robot Man gives him a backhand of whatever metal his hand is made out of. You're not touching that machine or mechanic either with your jumbo bumbo. Bleh. Okay, I'm not going to try to edit that. Try to just to start over. You're not touching that machine or mechanic either with your mumbo jumbo power ring or anything else. And Green Lantern takes one for the team in the jaw. 
Chuck Grayson is not real happy about that. He goes, you slugged the Green Lantern. I'll do what I have to click Chuck to protect Mechanique. And uh, Airwave is more concerned about the rest of Queens than he is about Mechanique. And uh, that causes uh, Sir Justin to start swinging his sword and cutting cables and just about anything else his sword can cut. Uh, Robot Man uh, fights back. You fools, do you realize what harm you could do to her, interrupting the power flow just now? And Airwave gets a little bit about what Green Lantern just got because he has had enough of the All-Star Squadron shit. Uh, it, Firebrand urges Robot Man to stop fighting before someone gets killed. And as uh, she starts to hit her firepower against him, I'll stop when you and your buddies have cleared out. But if you think I'm going to stand around and watch you torch my equipment, Brandy... Well, Firebrand, uh, let's, let's face it, fire and uh, electronic equipment probably isn't the best mix. But what choice do you leave us if you won't turn it off? Chuck Grayson, uh, basically just being a guy in a lab coat, um, tries to escape. He says, my God, I've got to. Airwave grabs him by the back of that coat. Goes, where do you think you're going, pal? Goes, please, let me go. If I don't calibrate the controls, this whole place is going to go sky high in a few seconds. And Airwave, well, that's precisely what I've been saying. Well, guys, why don't you shut up and find the off button? Well, Chuck sa says, I can't be turned off right now. It's too late. You've got to get away from it now. And as the All-Stars prepare to turn away from the explosion, Robot Man is still protesting. No. It can't. I won't let. And uh, Green Lantern is recovered enough to throw a protective bubble over everyone as Crane and Grayson's equipment goes Is Robot Man happy about this? No, he is not. You've destroyed her. Nothing living could have survived that explosion. You murdering. Stop it, Rob. She was only a robot. If she is only a robot, then so am I. Then Robot Man takes a punch and breaks through Green Lantern's bubble. I this speaks to a little bit of perhaps Green Lantern's I don't know uh, diverted attention or the fact that Robot Man's got something in his paws that seems to be able to break break Green Lantern's energy. I don't think he's got anything made of wood, but uh, right now that doesn't matter. He's in charge of the situation. And remember, Firebrand had just called Mechanic only a robot man. Well, so am I, explains the late Robert Crane. Everybody stop him, he's going berserk. I only wish you weren't right, Lantern. And as Firebrand tries to use her heat ability in order to fuse Robot Man's legs together, she gets a zap in the back. And everybody turns around to find this great reveal that you get in comic books. Look good, Granny, says Airwave. What look will you look with just blasted Firebrand? And of course, it's Mechanique. I am not a what. I am a who. I am Mechanic. Just as Robot Man shielded me before. 
Now I shall protect him. And any who takes so much a step toward him dies. So that sets us up for our next issue, the final chapter, featuring at last the return of the Justice Society and the end of an era. Ominous. And in building toward that, we have our last chapter into the Shanghai into Hyperspace adapted production um, by Ron Harris and Mike Gustavich, featuring The Spectre. Adapted, of course, from All Star Comics 13, written by Gardner Fox, and uh, performed by the regular Spectre artist and creator Bernard Bailey. And now we come to All Star Squadron 60. And the Justice Society is back. And how do we know? Because Jerry Ordway is also back. And amid a field of rockets, uh, the ones that took the JSA away from Earth into hyperspace at the uh, kidnapping of uh, some Nazi scientists, we have Hawkman, the Spectre, Starman, Johnny Thunder and his Thunderbolt flying through the rockets. And on the ground, we have the Atom. Well, the ground, such as we are in a space field. The Atom, Dr. Midnight, Wonder Woman, and the Golden Age Sandman running towards the side of the cover, and they look pissed. And if you need to know what is coming in the DC Universe, you just look at the corner, and there's an ominous little uh, stamp box that none of us at this point in time probably would have known about here in... Uh, the summer, spring of 86, but it would become a very clear to us all who watches The Watchmen. Now, why is this uh, so ominous just for the return of the JSA? Well, knowing what we know in the contact, this is probably the last All-Star Squadron uh, issue that will be as we know it. At least it's the end of the very last arc of this series. And uh, as I'll explain at the end, uh, there are some more issues coming up, but uh, effectively this is uh, this is the last issue of our squadron as we will know it in our retelling of Golden Age stories. And that is probably my only complaint about the cover for what is about to happen and what we are about to see inside. Uh, this, uh, the return of the Justice Society, is uh, only part of it, but at least I guess it's very symbolic. So our splash page picks up. Oh, and I should mention that our art is going to be Arvel Jones and Mike Clark embellishing. Story, of course, by Roy Thomas. So we're going to clean up this GSA thing first, and uh, our splash page shows... Uh, two hands uh, with fingers almost touching towards a almost explosion amongst the stars. Uh, the green gloved hand of the specter and the more pinkish hand uh, extended with a thunderbolt coming out of its wrist, which is the, wait for it, the thunderbolt. Of course, the, uh, the magical companion of Johnny Thunder. And the explosion that they have made is basically pops the rest of their compatriots, the Justice Society, back into our reality. 
sort of in mid-space and time. Uh, Talkman, Wonder Woman, Sandman, Adam, Starman, and Dr. Midnight. Now that all eight endangered GSAs have been gathered, the Spectre says, it is time we return to Earth. So with some uh, flashing and some lightning and some waving of hands, we pop back into the Earth's atmosphere amid pinkish-reddish skies, and the Spectre senses the presence of somebody who looks a lot like Harbinger from Crisis on Infinite Earths. So here we are. August 86 is the date on this. Of course, that puts us in June of 86. Six months later, we're still talking crisis. But for the day, JSA, it's time to track down the Nazi German scientist by the name of Gutsten, who they tracked down to a cabin, which happens to happen to have a, a uh, FBI agent lurking outside of it who has been uh, put on the case by J. Edgar of finding this, uh, finding out what happened, the story behind the JSA. Well, the cabin is crashed into from every door and window possible, and Fighty McFightstein with some saboteurs that really aren't up to fighting the JSA. And uh, Professor Gutsten is uh, goaded by Wonder Woman's um, lie detector, shall I say, her lasso of truth, into telling her what has happened. And uh, Starman and Spectre gather together to destroy the rocket launcher that had thrown them into space. And Hawkman just can't uh, resist uh, turning on the Nazis' radio and radioing Berlin. And who is at the other end but old Uncle Adolf himself? who is real, really happy to find out that the JSA is back. And I say that in all sarcasm because he is pounding desks and chewing carpets and throwing papers. So the Nazi plot is foiled. Uh, Gutsten is turned over to the FBI. And with the astral energy of the Spectre, everybody is popped into... Uh, a field that is going to transport them where? Well, let's turn the page and find out. Oh, we're not going to find out on the next page. We are back at the lab of Dr. Robert Crane. And Mechanique is standing over above the wreckage of the explosion, uh, ready to make good on her threat to destroy the, the All-Star Squadron should they come near Robot Man. I am not a what? I am not a who. I am mechanic. Just as Robot Man shielded me before, now I shall protect him. And any who so much as takes a step towards him dies. Yes, that's the new voice of mechanic that I'm going to use. <laughs> the other way I used there uh, required some typing. And uh, it's Saturday morning and I'm kind of lazy. So I will just let GarageBand do its stuff. Now, uh, Mechanic's proclamation uh, disturbs Robot Man a little bit, and he needs to do a little Robot Mansplaining here. Mechanic, no, don't hurt them. They just don't understand. Now, Shining Knight's just standing ready just to see if his sword might cut some Mechanic flesh. But uh, it's Brandy, as usual, who uh, has a cooler head, pun, pun uh, intended. Uh, Green Lantern is not feeling quite so good. And is ready for a scrap. 
as Mechanique turns her attention to Chuck Grayson. Are you unhurt, Chuck Grayson? I was resuscitated too late to prevent your being felled or Robot Man's legs from being welded together. Chuck's a little puzzled about how uh, she knows his name. I know many things. Airweave, as clueful as ever, goes, Where'd you learn them, lady, in Berlin? Yeah, right. Uh, right, Airwave. Uh, gosh, you, I think you're going to make a good trumper. You can deflect pretty good. Um, Green Lantern even realizes that this is not a Nazi plant. Now let's go back to some robot mansplaining. Because she's not Lantern, my examination proved she's made of metals not found on Earth. And wherever she's from, we've got to assume she's here on a mission of peace. Well, Alan Scott and Sir Justin Ernst aren't buying that peace plan. Um, Green Lantern takes a little bolt at him, which is shielded back by some sort of force field, which she calls a neutron shield. Um, Shining Knight takes a slice at the neutron shield, basically gets a uh, surprise, uh, Sir Justin, really sometimes you should realize that uh, despite your enchantments, you're still from the... <laughs> You're still from the medieval world here. Hallway fight time. Time for Firebrand to uh, fire up and take a shot. Mechanique is not impressed. Fire is, was one of the first conquests of your soft-skinned race. I was one of the last. And that causes Firebrand to ask a question. Imagine that. Let's try that. Which does impress Mechanique? At last, an inquiring mind and the beginning of true wisdom. I am from the world of the far future. Come here to save mankind in that era from a war far more devastating than which your race is now engaged. You must believe me, act quickly to change the course of human history. Robot Man is as now as emotional as a robot voice can get. For God's sakes, all stars listen to her. She's obviously from another civilization, a higher one. We need to learn from her, not dismantle her, to see what makes her tick. Chuck Grayson agrees. He wants to study this technology. And the All-Stars do settle down, listening, as Green Lantern says, with our guard up. Mechanic tries to do a little bit of a demonstration about how she can predict the future and says that any man now the radio stations of the world will announce that the nation of Iran has severed ties with the Japanese Empire. Well, Airwave believes that because he happens to have a very high-tech radio within his cowl and says, I'll tune in the local news show. What? Wow! That didn't take long. The newsman's reading the announcement about Iran right off a teletype. Justin's not impressed. Robot Man asks, Why are you so distrustful, Sir Justin? It is because she looks more no more human than I do. Okay, Green Lantern's going to debate now. He before pulling out his ring goes, "Okay, just for the sake of argument, what's back here? It's so important to your future." Mechanic just doesn't know how she can make the mind comprehend. Robot Man says, "Give them a chance, Mechanic. My brain's as human as theirs, yet I am listening." Very well, Robot Man, for your sake. Any few minutes, what you term as an automobile wreck is destined to claim the life of a certain human being. 
that human's death, if unprevented, will set in motion a chain of events which will domino down the centuries, causing world-destroying war in my era. Observe in holographic image these events, now only a few minutes in your future. Two human parents walking around with their female child in Manhattan on the corner of 30th Street and 3rd Avenue, when the girl's restless cat suddenly leaps from her arms. The child runs after the cat into the street. A speeding auto swerves to unsuccessfully to trying to miss her. And history is altered forevermore in a single instant of searing flame. Well, you don't have to tell Green Lantern twice. He's got a thing about uh, saving children. So gangway people, I'm Manhattan bound on the double. Firebrand joins them. As they fly off to check out uh, Mechanic's story, but also more to uh, be more, more safe than sorry and try to save these people who are going to uh, be involved in this terrible accident. And thus leaving one cynical shining night to guard over their lab, Robot Man and Mechanique. Robot Man urges to try to, to plead with Sir Justin. We must all learn from her for the Earth's sake. Meanwhile, back at the scene of the pending accident, a man, a woman, and a little girl and her cat, carrying her cat, are walking down the street. It's not Crime Alley, so don't worry. Don't worry. Did I mention the skies are red? Of course the skies are red. And, of course, just like it says, uh, a car comes barreling out of control. The cat runs away. Ignats, come back! Ignats! Um, the, the man in the car swerves. Mommy! Daddy! Uh, the flame burst uh, swerves him tw the car towards a power pole, which Green Lantern manages to pick up before it makes his impact. Good thing it didn't impact, because remember, Green Lantern can't affect the power pole. Well, we set the, this little Ford Coupe down on the ground and says, Sorry if I startled you people, Green Lantern says to the occupants, but under the circumstances... And out pops a man in uh, wearing the ice cream uh, dress uniform, that that uh, fancy white uniform that you always see in all the movies of a U.S. Navy officer. Says, you look pretty familiar to me, sir. You're Admiral Higby, one of the Navy's top strategists. Now Firebrand tries to calm the little girl and returns her cat as uh, Green Lantern shakes hands with Admiral Higby, who has been on the way to a special strategy conference a few blocks away. Now, while GL and, Fire and Brandy are really uh, happy about the outcome of the accident and that nobody was hurt, they fly off still wondering just what this all means. And uh, was this a trick or a ploy? Or just what's happening? And as soon as they fly up, uh, Liberty Bell is, sends a message to his power ring and wants everybody back at the Parisphere pronto. And when Scott and Danette do power ring themselves inside the Parisphere, they see the uh, we have Robot Man and Mechanic standing there. Robot Man's legs uh, seem to be unwelded. Along, they're standing there along with the rest of the All-Star Squadron. And, but what is more surprising is the Justice Society is back. And we see our eight missing people are standing there. 
While Allen is more surprised to see the Justice Society, Firebrand is uh, even more shocked to see that Robot Man and Mechanic have also in the sphere. Of course we are. I knew your mission would quickly prove the truth of what I told you, so I suggested that we four rejoin the rest of the All-Star Squadron. So everybody catches everybody else up to speed, including Starman meeting Aquaman, being introduced by none other than Batman. Liberty Bell welcoming back the uh, missing JSAers, Dr. Fate and the Spectre have a handshake. And, of course, Hawkman and Hawkgirl have a much more emotional reunion. As the masks come off and as the Parasphere has some private rooms, this would probably be a good time to show Carter and Shiera where they are. Johnny Quick tries to patch things up with Robot Man. Hope there are no hard feelings, Rob. If Mechanique has none, neither do I. Mechanique is less than uh, impressed with the sincerity. In dealing with the future, one would be foolish not to be skeptical. Well, Liberty Bell, for one, is willing to thank the new robot overlords and welcoming to our century. And gives her even uh, what seems to pass for a uh, female icon to female robot handshake. As Libby thanks her for uh, basically uh, letting the All-Stars know about the accident so that it could be prevented. Saving those two lives is why I came. Well, Johnny Quick's a pretty resilient guy, and uh, he pops back into hyperspeed and comes back with a camera and a tripod, saying that President Roosevelt has been asking for an assembly uh, photograph of the All-Star Squadron. Uh, Batman's a little taken up, goes, Johnny, what if some of the All-Stars don't want their pictures taken? Superman, um basically uh, knocks that argument away. Who's going to turn down the president, Batman? Besides, what can it hurt? And we see Sandman and Sandy finally reunited with a handshake. There we go. Hearty handshake. You just love your adopted nephew, don't you, Wes? Sandy's more miffed that uh, he didn't get to go on the trip. So as Johnny sets up his camera, sets up a timer, and very super speedily gets into the lineup, and we turn the page, and by the way, we have to turn the comic sideways, because it's a splash page that is run um, off-center, I guess that is the proper word for it, of the assembled All-Star Squadron, as we are here today, post-crisis. Or are we? Well, before we tackle that issue, let's take a look. Uh, top row, left to right, Star Spangled Kid, Stripesy, Crimson Adventure, Wing, Tarantula, Our Man, Firebrand, Shining Knight, Starman, Airwave, Vigilante, of course, giving a little tip of the hat to the camera, Johnny Thunder, no Thunderbolt though, The Whip, and Zatara. Second row, left to right, Amazing Man, Green Arrow, Speedy, Paul Kirk, Manhunter, uh, Dr. Midnight, Wildcat, The Guardian, Sandy, Sandman, Dan the Dynamite, TNT, Mr. Terrific, Sargon the Sorcerer, Mr. America, Dr. Occult. And finally, bottom row. Let's pay attention to this one. It's going to be questions. Johnny Quick, Liberty Bell, Robot Man, Dr. Fate, The Atom, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Superman, Batman, Robin, Flash, Hawk Girl, Hawkman, Green Lantern, and the Spectre.
Did you get all that? Batman says, got it. Great, a real mob scene, even without Plastic Man and a few others. And a Batman, of course, doesn't know that the quality comics characters, uh, the freedom fighters who we know of, have been sent to another Earth. Uh, we've been too busy to send out a press release, but Uncle Sam sent us a final message a couple of days ago that seems he and Plas, several other mystery men, took off for a sort of alternate Earth, which we now know of as Earth-X, where our side's in danger of losing to Hitler and Tojo. Black Condor, the Ray, Dollman, Phantom Lady. We won't see any of them again until the war's won on the world they've given the code name of Earth-X. Now, pending another vote, Liberty Bell is ready to give up the chairmanship of the All-Star Squadron to Hawkman. And as she turns to ask Mechanique to ask a little bit more about what this mission from the future to the 1940s is, uh, she realizes he's gone. But Johnny Quick uh, does a little bit of a scan with the tel television screen and finds that Robot Man and Mechanique are mechanic are kind of off on their own to which in one of her last acts as chair liberty bell says let's leave those two alone and until they want to talk to us to which the meeting unanimously cries here here so let's turn the page and find out what robot man and mechanique are up to so as our two mechanical all-stars take a walk um, under the red skies through the uh, gardens of the Paris Fair and uh, Trilon. Let's listen in to a couple of robotic voices. It's been a long time since I felt so good like a real human being whose brain just happens to reside in a metal casing. Instead of some kind of freak who'd probably be turned into scrapped if I weren't valuable to the war effort. Does any of what I'm saying make sense to you, Mechanique, about being human, I mean? Very much so, and I for my part have long wished to know what it would like to be human. With your help, as I have come as close as I shall ever, and for that, as my continued existence, I am most grateful. I'd settle for that, but I'd be a liar to deny that I hope one day you'll feel more than gratitude. As perhaps I already do, but it is hard for a robot to tell. Hey, it's not always that easy for people, but this war-wracked future you were sent here to prevent? Yes. Are you positive what was done tonight will prevent it? And who's Rotwang? Rotwang, I do not know the word. Mechanique, I want to try something. I must try something. Look into my eyes, my photoelectric cell eyes. It's true. I suspected it all along somehow, but now I'm sure. What do you mean? Let go of me. Not till I know what you're trying to hide. I designed you so I could hypnotize you easily if you were off your guard. Now I must know from what world do you come. 
Who or what is Rotwang and what secret are you hiding? I do see it through your robot mind, your robot eyes. I see a metropolis ruled by a human elite who has lost all contact with the working masses which supports them. And far beneath the earth's surface I behold those masses, men and women allowed to exist only so long as they toil at laborious soul-destroying machines. But there's a slave rebellion afoot now, far beneath those gleaming towers. To infiltrate the rebels, an evil scientific magician named Rotwang creates a female-like robot then disguises her substitute for a real woman named Maria, the rebel's leader. That treacherous robot was you, Mechanique. You! Yes, I am Rotwang's masterpiece, but I failed. My mission and the revolt succeeded. Believe dead Rotwang went into hiding when my first body was destroyed. Rot Rotwang recreated me, sent me here to cause the girl, Maria, his downfall, never to come into existence. But Firebrand and Green Lantern saved both the Admiral and that little girl, and my God, that was part of your plan, wasn't it? Yes, your friends think they saved mankind's future, when in truth they obliterated it. By Rotwang's scientific genius, I have single-handedly held back the effects of a recent phenomenon codenamed the Crisis on Infinite Earth from finalizing it in this time period. Now that my mission is successfully completed, however, I can at last allow the effects of the crisis to take hold. Perhaps your all-star friends could prevent Rotwang's future, my future, if they knew of it, with all the Earth's history forever altered. But they never shall, for not even you will remember what has transpired here tonight. And no one, either in present or past or future, aware of it. Tonight, I can't... Ugh! Does that make any sense, what I'm saying? Make any sense to you, Mechanique? Very much so, and I, for my part, have very much wished to know what it would be like to be human. With your help, I have perhaps come as close to as I ever shall, and for that, and for my continued existence, I am most grateful. I'd settle for that, but I'd be a liar to deny that I hope one day you'll feel more than gratitude. As perhaps I already do. It is hard for a robot to tell. Hey, it's not always that easy for people. Funny how I suddenly felt so strange. Want to come inside and check my brain's oxygen intake apparatus? I thought you would never ask. So now let's leave Robot Man and Mechanic as they uh, prepare to, shall we say, mesh some gears or whatever that passes and we're back inside the Parisphere and we're back to Liberty Bell and uh, Johnny Quick and Our Man and apparently the vote to make Hawkman the chairman of the all, all the All-Star Squadron 
has passed and there's only one person that they need to inform. Bulletin just in. Three members of the colorful All-Star Squadron are at the White House at this very moment, no doubt for an urgent war briefing by the President himself. Further news bulletin says they... <laughs> finally, so you did it, didn't you, Liberty Bell? You finally got around to taking a photograph of the squadron's full roster so I can keep all of you masked fellows straight. Johnny Quick took the photo, Mr. President. I figured I could use some help keeping the evening straight. And Hawkman says, Actually, sir, a few members couldn't make it into last night's meeting, but we certainly had a quorum. My, yes! There are a lot of heroes here, aren't there? Don't worry your heads about a few no-shows. Why, every mystery man I can think of seems to be present and accounted for. As Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, reviews a photograph just delivered to them by Hawkman, Liberty Bell, and Johnny Quick. Matter of fact, any costumed hero who isn't in this photo, that's me turning a page, must be someone so obscure that nobody ever heard of them. When we turn this page, we see the exact same photo as before, with some differences. Down in the front row, where we used to see Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman and Robin, and Aquaman, we now see the returned from Earth-X, Phantom Lady, Black Condor, Uncle Sam, the Ray, and Plastic Man. And in the top row, sticking out behind uh, the shoulders of Vigilante and Johnny Thunder, we see the Human Bomb and the Jester, also quality comics characters from Earth-X. Folks, is the way that Roy Thomas is charged to announce that the Earth 2 versions, Golden Age versions of those characters, no longer exist, as Mechanique has released the effects of the Crisis on Infinite Earths upon this new, blended, created Earth. But that's not all, folks. In the coming months and years, Green Arrow and Speedy would also be... Uh, excised from this group and the versions of Hawkman and Hawkgirl would also become something extremely altered, changed and in many ways almost unusable but I'll let somebody that wants to do a Hawkman podcast examining those sorts of things do that uh, that way lies madness folks and I'm mad enough so I think I'm going to turn to the final page in this issue, which is page two of the letters column, and let Roy Thomas himself, and sorry, I can't do an impression. I just don't know the man. I have heard his voice, but I'm not going to go there. Um, discuss the ending of this, uh, this story. Of course, it's not the same issue, but uh, let's see how Roy uh, chooses to address this final arc in All-Star Squadron. In answering a letter from Jonathan Gilbert of London, Ontario, uh, Roy says, I thank you and DC and Jonathan for giving me the opportunity to work with so many great old and even occasionally second string heroes. Um, naturally, I hope that Infinity Inc. and the Golden Age aspects of Secret Origin lasts forever. And I'd like to begin a new post-crisis series of All-Star Squadron 2 as outlined in issue 57, 
the more so since the sales of the book have been climbing recently and once I adjust to the fact, I've come up with some ideas that I think you'd like for the new book. Whether that book will happen or not, we'll let you know for sure in the next few issues. Promise. Meanwhile, because of the series as I originally conceived it has come to a logical conclusion with the ending of Crisis and Infinite Earths, this issue number 60 is the last which will feature real continuity in the sense of an ongoing storyline. The continuity will pick up in issue 1 of the new series if and when. Watch this space. All-Star Squadron itself, though, will continue for several exciting months with some interim tales of real importance to the Golden Age fan, mostly origins of some of the core group All-Stars, which were completed but otherwise couldn't be fitted chronologically into secret origins for a few years. For instance, the origins of Liberty Bell, The Shining Knight, and Robot Man over the next three issues, and a couple of real surprises after that. And we will also get... Uh, Johnny Quick and the Tarantulas um, origins in that small series within a series here of secret origins that are going to more or less complete the All-Star Squadron run. Um, so keep watching those star-scudded skies, Friend Earth 2, and as a separate entity may be gone, but its legendary heroes are far from forgotten. And the very last issue of All-Star Squadron 67, which I'm not going to cover, and I'm not going to cover any of those secret origins because none of those characters are named Vigilante. Remember, my rules. Um, is, is a, was going to be some tales of the Justice Society, one in which the JSA fit themselves into an old, the continuity of an old Superman story. And that's a brave uh, effort. And I believe the final issue, sorry, that wasn't 67, that was going to be something else. 67 is going to be a retail of All-Star Comics, the Justice Society of America, in their very first full adventure from the All-Star Comics number four, in which they take on uh, Nazi buns that are on the home front in the United States, even before the USA comes into the conflict with Pearl Harbor. That, folks, is all I have left to say about All-Star Squadron, other than um, Mechanique. And the reason I've taken so much time with Mechanique is because uh, this is another one of Roy Thomas's very interesting ways in which he combines science fiction concepts and literary concepts which pique his interest into the stories that he does, and in this case, All-Star Squadron. Mechanique is a character that is actually named, and I'm going to back up and take a run at this, because it's a German origin name, Maschinenmensch, or Machine Person. This character appears in a 1927, and I should tell you it's the silent era, film made in Germany by Fritz Lang called Metropolis. And if that word sounds familiar to you, of course, it's the city in which we'll be adopted by Superman. But the original Metropolis is a very influential science fiction film. Of course, it influenced Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And, of course, it also influenced Roy Thomas. Uh, made from a 1925 novel of the same name, and, uh, as I said, made in 
uh, Germany in the 1920s during the Weimar time. So it's long before Hitler comes along. But uh, let's face it, all of those machinations that bring the Nazis to power in the 1930s are underway in the 1920s. It's regarded as a pioneer science fiction movie among the first feature lengths of that genre, genre, pardon me, that took place uh, the filming over 17 months in 1925 and 1926 at a cost of more than 5 million Reichsmarks. And we know that uh, from our history that the Reichsmark were doing all kinds of acrobatics in those days or the equivalent of about 21 million euros today. Uh, and of course it talks about a futuristic urban dystopia as uh, science fiction is wont to do that talks about uh, when robots have sort of uh, mechanization has taken over the earth and there's a gr really good article on Wikipedia on this uh, just type in Metropolis you will get this and of course uh, Machine Mensch uh, from which we get mechanique is a part of that. So that's uh, sort of your literary uh, assignment for the day. Uh, you can probably find Metropolis on many of our streaming channels. I, I haven't bothered to take a look as to where they it might be involved, uh, um, but likely YouTube would be a good place to start. But read that Wikipedia article. It's fairly lengthy. Um, there's no sense me rereading it here on the podcast when you can do that on your own time. So there you go. You have a homework assignment. And it is a good homework assignment, too, is if you happen to be someone who wants to take on the All-Star Squadron as a reading project, the uh, secret project that Roy Thomas couldn't talk about in the letters column would become a book called The Young All-Stars, which, uh, not to spoil things along, does uh, address what happens with the energies taken from the uh, disappearance of Superman, Batman, and all the other primal characters uh, from the DC Universe continuity in this New Earth continuity. And of course, uh, don't ask me where that continuity exists today. Uh, I'm not reading DC Comics firmly, but uh, as far as the rest of the 1980s and 90s were concerned, those characters were off the table as Golden Age characters. And I no longer have any interest in the multiple crises and crossovers and uh, continuity patches that DC keeps doing. Um, the one thing that I do like what DC has said, I came from the mouths of Jeff Jones, if you believe in a certain earth, well, that's your continuity, they all count. And I actually do agree with Mr. Jones with that. I just don't think that every comic story ever made, just like any movie ever made, all has to fit within the same tapestry. Really, does it have to? These things are meant to be fun. Don't try to read them and think that, oh no, we have to burn these ones. Because that one doesn't exist. You know, media changes. People change. Tastes change. And we can't always be held slavishly to one continuity. You can't, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a certain number of us that I'm listening to are great fans of the great old 1970s, 80s, Earth 2 continuity, and we lament it. 
But you know what? We can pick up those books at any time. They've been reprinted. They're available in virtual formats. We can pick them up at any time and enjoy them again. You can't expect media companies such as DC Warner or Marvel, Disney, to constantly pander or cater to people who were in their 20s enjoying or in their teens enjoying them at their times because those people are now in their 50s, 60s and dare I say it 70s. Uh, and that is just that just isn't a market for growth. You have to keep your characters fresh and keep it onward. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy the old ones, but it doesn't mean you can't enjoy new treatments as well. And if you do try these treatments and you don't enjoy them, well, set them aside. That's all it is. That's why Baskin Robbins has so many flavors, folks. So as I look at the clock on the computer, I am going to call a whoa to this uh, part of Vigilante's very scant representation in All-Star Squadron as well. And uh, when next we hear, we're going to be getting back on the horse. And uh, this, and we're probably going to be going full gallop here at more action comic stories with Vigilante. And of course, if you must have him within a continuity, we've got the, the seven soldiers that uh, we do every now and then here on Prairie Justice. So we shall see you when we see you. In the corner of a dark bar room Said a low cowboy singing western tunes Singing songs that he learned as a child All about the west back when it was wild well, So long partners, you've been listening to Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast all materials used in Prairie Justice are believed to be of fair use and remain the copyright of all copyright holders. Stories, images, and the character of Greg Saunders, the Vigilante, and all other characters used are the property of DC Comics and DC Entertainment. Feedback for Prairie Justice can be left on Facebook under the name Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. Email can go to vigilantecast at gmail.com. Website is www.rangergordsroundup, all one word, at .wordpress.com. And we sure hope to see you all back again for another ride with the Cowboy Crusader. Vaya con Dios, compadres, eh? Because he's the last of the singing cowboy.